This is the Doctor Who Podcast, and you are most welcome. Welcome, dear listeners, to episode 324 of the Doctor Who podcast. On this episode, we vote Brent off to a desert island and find out what choices he would make if he were alone for a long time and had nothing to listen to and watch but Doctor Who. And me. And you. Well, no, he's, he's talking about his conversations with you. Does that mean you're going to be there watching all these things with him? Absolutely. It's my desert island uh, and therefore <laughs> I decide who comes uh, and I go there as and when I choose. And uh, as, as you um, and the listeners will hear, uh, there is not really much difference at the moment from the temperature on a desert island to the temperature in London. So uh, it feels very much as though I really am there this time. OK, well, I, but before then... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, before then, absolutely. It's been a little while since you and I have had a, a chat. I'm trying to think when we last spoke, Michelle, it must have been at least a couple of months or so ago when we recorded together. Um, and I remember at that point, you'd been watching Doctor Who like a rabid fan, listening to more Big Finish than me. You've been very, very Who orientated. Is that is that trend continued? Well, I mean, it continues to be, I have somewhat limited free time, spare time, but most of that, much of that gets dedicated to Doctor Who. And so, you know, I continue to listen to audio audios and um, read books. What have you been listening to? Uh, You know, lately, I have recently listened to the first two of the three Leela Companion Chronicles from way back when. Uh, They did did a trilogy that were some of my favorites. Um, And it started with The Catalyst. Second one was Empathy Games, which I just listened to. And I can't remember the third third one but I'll be listening to it uh within the next month or so I'm sure but those three I I really recommend I used to this goes way back to the first incarnation of the Doctor Who podcast but I loved the the Companion Chronicles that was the heyday of that range and I thought it was mm. I still think to this day that it is one of the strongest ranges that uh Big Finish has ever done but but yeah uh the the those three with Leela which place Leela theoretically at the very end of her life, kind of reminiscing back to some stories, um, uh, were, were three of my favorites. And and it made mm. me think of one of our last conversations, James, because we, we were having a conversation about um, contemporary actors trying to recreate the voices of, <laughs> of um, older doctors. Now, the fourth doctor, of course, is still, yeah. still contemporary for us, but um, I really love, Leela has to, or Louise Jameson has to, recreate Tom Baker's voice, which is not easy. And and that is an example of one where I think it works great. I love her take on Tom Baker. So mm. even though obviously she is not, um, not male, not trying to match it. Yeah. Well, she's not male. That, good, good <laughs> observation, James. Thank you. Insightful analysis. That's what the listeners tune in for, Michelle. No, but I, at any rate, I, I think that those are, are three very strong stories and her performance. They, they are great. good. You, you are right. I mean, I, I haven't listened to those in a very long time, it must be said, but they do have a place in my memory. And I, I think that's because I interviewed Nigel Fares on stage at a convention ages ago. And that was the point at which he just, I think, or I think, yeah, I think perhaps the third in that trilogy of Companion Chronicles had just been released. So it was quite a hot topic. And uh, there was only one other range um, at that point, other than the monthly range, which was the Companion Chronicles. Mm. And Leela, I think, started this journey in either the second or third season of the Companion Chronicles. Um, and, and they are good. I mean, it does get complicated, uh, I seem to recall. I, and I, yeah, uh, I can't but, remember the third yeah. one as well as, as the other two. So that that may be an indicator, but... <laughs> You know of the lost world. These are my final days. The world that I came to call my home is gone, and with it, everything that stood between me and death. Ah! If you are so afraid, go 
your mama and your table manners and your stale meat. I'm not afraid. What is it? The end of the world? Could be. I have seen so much. So, a- anything else other than Louise Jameson doing a Tom Baker voice? Well, what else? Well, well, you, you know, I think you and I both in the not too distant past have have speaking of ranges and big finish and wrapping up ranges um the end of the beginning um that you know <laughs> was yeah something i think rather significant in the life of big finish that the the monthly range that that started it all for doctor who came came to a conclusion sort of after however many years it is it's 2021 now isn't it i'm generally good at keeping track of the year uh it was 1999 i think when the main range started and they've released a story at least once every two months i think initially the release or the rate of release was once every two months um uh, before they switched to monthly and uh, as you rightly say that whole era came to an end fairly recently with um with the end of the beginning by robert valentine a four-part story which I suppose it's true to call it a multi-doctor story. Mm-hmm. There's, um, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, I, I, hes- I hesitate a little uh, because, you know, it's not as um, celebratory or, um, or as gratuitous in terms of its uh, doctor-doctor interaction as something like the five doctors, uh, but it does involve different iterations of the doctor. We might very well be standing on all that's left of... You know, the lost moon of Batoya. Doctor. Hello, Doctor. And Charlie, isn't it? You remember Tello? No, I don't believe we've met. Is that really a future version of you? Indeed it is. Oh, you become awfully... um, What? Tasteful. What did you think of it? Anyway, that's what I want. (laughs) Well, I thought much of it was was pleasant. Uh, the, the structure of the story is that there are three sort of one-off episodes featuring, uh, what are they, Doctors 5, 6, and 8. Each of those individual stories I thought was, was, was a pleasant listen. I don't think any of them were, um, you know, stand out. You absolutely have to listen to this. Um, but, they, but the individual stories worked. Um, I particularly enjoyed the first one, which was The Fifth Doctor and Turlow. And I particularly enjoyed the interaction between Turlow and, and the Fifth Doctor in that. I thought it was a real strong mm. outing for, for the pairing um, and set in, oh, the sands of Mesopotamia, I think. So it was kind of a neat... Well, let's just run a corner to our desert island. Oh, 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 well, that's convenient. Yeah, well, <laughs> maybe you can, you and Brent can take a break and go on a hunt for the lost city that, that uh, features in that one. But uh, three enjoyable episodes. I was less convinced by the overarching plot device that links them all together and there is a particular character that is sort of the feature villain sort of that I found overly melodramatic um, both in the performance and and in the the editing I mean it, it wasn't just a case of performance but they would have these thunder crashes when this character was speaking and these this these piano crescendos and um it just felt kind of cheesy to me. And, um, you know, they yeah. were trying to do some misdirection leading up to a a plot twist towards the end that I thought kind of fell flat. In the fourth episode where you get the doctors together, um, I enjoyed the inter- inter- interaction between the doctors. You know, that, that that's always good and enjoyable. But overall, I thought it was sort of a sort of an odd ending for such a momentous series and I, and I and maybe i don't know if big finish wanted to kind of play down the ending because i mean the the adventures as the story says are continuing for all the doctors it's not really an ending of any of the big finish output in terms of the doctors it's just all a company is doing is changing how it's releasing stories so maybe that's not as big a thing as it feels for me as a fan <laughs> well I mean, it's, it's a difficult balance to strike i suppose isn't it because at the end of the day it needs to be a story that stands on its own feet you know and in its own it exists in its own right um and i guess it does that to an extent but obviously it's a bit of a milestone as well and whether or not it serves its purpose as a you know pivotal ending uh to, to the monthly range i think is up for debate um i i think overall it's an okay entry 
mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. um the structure that you mentioned earlier on mirrors the sirens of time which was the very first mm-hmm. um monthly range story where you have essentially a four-part story um and the first three episodes each doctor comes to the fore mm-hmm. or is involved in his own story uh, and so therefore you've got the box checked there it mirrors the beginning but after that, I mean, oof, I mean, the stories themselves are absolutely nothing special. They are spectacularly mediocre, <laughs> I would say. And, uh, you know, they're a reasonably decent listen, but maybe with the exception of the fact that the Doctor or the Fifth Doctor is not always paired with Turlow or is quite rarely paired with Turlow. I think probably the number of stories they've released with the Fifth Doctor and Turlow, number less than 10, certainly not very many uh, and therefore there's a novelty in 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 hearing peter davison perform with mark strickson but aside from that i agree the villain is lukewarm the twist you alluded to both in terms of story and direction the way it sounded i felt was flaky uh, it actually emulated the modern series or um you know on, on jody whittaker's um storylines uh, where i've always felt that the story, the story itself tries to be shocking and big and bold, uh, but rather than just relying on clever twists and the intricate plots that Doctor Who has always done so brilliantly in the past, this felt flaky and a bit lightweight, mm-hmm. I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, the solution itself was absolutely nothing to write home about. And then you had what is admittedly an extremely emotive ending uh, that tops off just a mediocre story. And because it tops a mediocre story it doesn't really work and it's not as powerful as it would have been had the journey been much more interesting or more coordinated i mean even these stories although there are you know linking elements they're a bit bizarre i mean there's there's a vampire story in it without any real introduction um it's kind of suggested that these characters have been seen in a monthly range before now if they have i've not heard them uh, and i've heard at least I would say 80% of the monthly range now. So uh, it's uh, maybe slightly less, but it, yeah, it just know, feels and, and I don't, you know, that, you should know something. I, I didn't get the, it didn't occur to me that these characters or the one in particular, the, the kind of the, the main vampire, if you will, had appeared before, but he might've, I mean, there was the, the series, I think again, it was a trilogy when Hex was introduced, where there was uh, the Forge. Yeah, and, no, and, and, and it's so not. It's, it, he's, he's not from there. No. Okay. Well, but I'm glad you reminded me of the vampire story because I just listened to an extremely similar story in the Dorian Gray range, and and the fact of the matter is, it was done much more powerfully in the Dorian Gray series, mm. which did not help mm. my listening to this one because again, it felt lightweight. I think may have been one of the words that you were using compared to yeah. something that was much more strongly and powerfully written in, a, in another Big Finish story. Now, admittedly, the one took had, was written years and years before this one, but it was, it was an unfortunate pairing for me. Yeah, no, it does happen occasionally. And when you think of the number of stories that Big Finish produce across all of its ranges, it's inevitable there are going to be similarities uh, at some point. It's just... Um, a pity it happened to be relevant to the final story in the in the main range. Um, I, I think there's a lot of promise in it, you know, uh, but it just doesn't feel particularly satisfying. It's it kind of suggests it's much cleverer than it actually is, and um, the impact it's trying to create is um, is not as great as many many other stories in um, in, in the main range. But uh, on on the whole, as you you know, w- what you said is is absolutely spot on, and that's that it's not the end. In as much as we're not going to get any more stories featuring these doctors, we are. Uh, so you know how important it is that this story is nothing revolutionary is um is is questionable but you know big finish do occasionally have these strange milestone stories i mean it all started with zagreus back at release 50 that was a very bizarre story to to, to celebrate not just the 50th release but there was also an anniversary uh, it was released to celebrate as well possibly the 40th uh, and then you take a look at absolution which was the end of uh Carizzi's, um arc uh, a little while ago and that was weird too you know so it, it's at least they're consistent in um 
not just playing to to the masses um but i would have much rather seen something like the light of the end um you know mark the end of the monthly range uh, the the approach that briggs took to that story i thought worked really well i was a little surprised that briggs didn't write this one uh I'm, i suspect yeah, exactly. maybe he's probably got yeah. a, lo- a rather a lot on his plate you may or may not recall that when i went to the desert island uh my big finish audio pick was Zagreus, which which I love and had good reasons for. But um, I think that means it must be time to hear what Brent wanted for his Desert Island picks. What could you watch? What could you take? On a never-ending mini-break. What could you watch until the end of time? Claws of access or partners in crime? It's time for you to choose. And yes, welcome back to the Desert Island, which, uh, well, at least from a UK perspective, feels very, very authentic at present, given it's 31 degrees in London. (laughs) So uh, it kind of feels like a a desert island uh, for for us. Um, I, I know that's nothing. Uh, in terms of temperature for our guests. Well, guest, you're not really a guest, are you, Brent? <laughs> you're a co-host. <laughs> so um, a 31 degree heat is nothing for you uh, ordinarily, is it? It's still pretty rough. That's about 91, 92 degrees here in Fahrenheit. Oh. Um, yeah, before we started recording, I would say I just mowed my lawn and it was over 100 degrees. And I thought I was going to pass out. <laughs> you see, that's that's incredible. As, as soon as it gets to around about 31, 32 here in London, the vast majority of exertion is just walking to the pub, the park, somewhere that's air-conditioned. Uh, the, the very thought <laughs> of doing something like mowing lawn or gardening it, it just goes out the window entirely so it's just <laughs> just the way it is so we, we spend two days complaining about how hot it is and then when it gets cooler again complain about how quick uh, <laughs> that heat wave was i mean how british is that talking about the weather <laughs> uh, yeah. and when, what we should be talking about is your choices for the long-awaited desert island who section so five categories uh, a classic story a new who story Big Finish or Audio Play, and two books, one fiction, one non-fiction. How, how long mm-hmm. uh, has it taken you to reach your choices, Brent? It took me a bit, but I made my list like when, when I first heard about this idea several months ago. <laughs> so it's been sitting on my laptop, <laughs> on my um, desktop there for several months. But I, I actually went back and changed one of them before we started because... Uh, well, we'll get to that. <laughs> but it is something that um, changes. If you've got to do anything that requires some kind of ranking or list, you know, you can do it on a Monday and it's all changed by Tuesday. And if, if you did, if you, if you selected all of these a year ago and we come up with a, the format, then, you know, I, I'd, the changes would have been immense. At least they would have. I can't even remember what my original choices were now when I discussed them with Phil. <laughs> <So>. yeah. <laughs> right. First of all, then, I suppose we need some kind of drum roll sound effect here. Your choice. <laughs> no, I'll insert one, Brent. You don't need to do it. It's all right. Okay, good, good. <laughs> um, your selection of a classic Who story for the desert island is... My classic story is Legopolis from Christopher H. Bidmead. Where are the others? Adric and Nissa went to look for the master. What? should know better than that. There's been enough unnecessary deaths as it is. What deaths? The murder of innocent logopolitans. And the murder of innocent earth people. Earth people? Yes. Auntie Vanessa? Yes. Yes, I'm so sorry to you. I'm so sorry. The master's already at work on Logopolis. My initial reaction, because I don't get to find out in advance, listeners, uh, what uh, what Brent or anybody else's selections are. But my initial reaction is, I wish I bought Ian in on this because I think that's his least favourite Four Doctor <laughs> <Yes>. story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've heard that before. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's let let's hear your your reasons then. Well, 
I started watching Doctor Who when I was a kid, and Tom Baker was the only doctor I'd ever seen, so I didn't know a thing about regeneration. And, you know, we certainly didn't have any press or anything about the show over here, because not many people that I knew knew about the show. So Legopolis was my first regeneration, and I didn't know it was coming. So everything about that was new to me and, and shocking and, you know, all the feels, as the, as the kids say. Hmm. Um, but... Uh, I, I, the whole story to me has such a mood to it. It's doom and gloom, very moody. Uh, it has its own personality, yeah. and uh, I purposely don't watch it very often, just so it doesn't lose that magic for me. But so you know, I wouldn't watch it all the time on the island, but it would be there when I was ready. <laughs> yeah, I, I know what you mean by the atmosphere, uh, and, and to an extent, it's it's the natural conclusion of uh, the overall arc of season 18, which is, you know, I mean, it's been described as funereal. It's the only context in which, or Logopolis is the only context in which I ever use that word. <laughs> you know, when do you ever describe something else as funereal? But Logopolis just feels like, right, that's it. This is the... Uh, you know, you can feel the entropy. <laughs> That's the overarching um, thing there is entropy for the whole season. Yeah. Sometimes literally, and then at the end, him. Yeah, I, I, and I've often commented in the past, it's ironic uh, that uh, a story all about entropy, it's remarkable how unstructured uh, the story is over the four episodes because... There's an awful lot of stuff that just happens that I really enjoy in Logopolis. I do like all the running up and down corridors and the sudden <laughs> emergence of um, of Nyssa as a companion. And yet, you know, I think those are the things that certainly frustrates its critics. Uh, but I, I, I just like everything about Logopolis, particularly the first two episodes where essentially you've got the Doctor, the fourth Doctor and Adric on their own for the only time during season 18 yeah they, and i think they make a good pair and um I, i'm really glad that they chose this story to do the special effects on when they did the blu-ray set for season mm. 18 a, a lot of it looks a lot better like the tardis shrinking and uh, uh all the stuff at the end they cut out the scene where uh Tegan looks straight down at the ground like really quickly. <laughs> like nobody, no one would have fell that fast. So they cut that out and they they insert a shot of uh, a dummy falling off of a tower and it looks realistic. It's a little disturbing. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, yeah. it is difficult, isn't it, when you um, decide or, or like uh, when they're redoing the special effects for. Well, they did it for the Blu-ray. Uh, sorry, they did it for the DVD range as well, and and yet it's it's trying to make an improvement on some of the original scenes without making it too twenty twenty one, because that in itself right. can be incongruent with the source material. And I seem to remember the Legopolis stuff that uh, works works really well, but but for me, it's not so much how it looks or however any of classic who looks it's always the story and i just find logopolis yeah. something that i just I, I, you know it's leading to something and it's interesting that you mentioned you didn't know the regeneration mm -hmm. was coming at the end of the story uh, that must have been a heck of an experience but but when you know something is coming uh, it, it just makes that atmosphere that they were so successful in creating all the more impactful yeah i did get the feeling that something bad was coming but i had no idea uh, um, we went to England um, and met you, actually, uh, about three yeah. years ago. The first day we were there, we met up with uh, Andrew Smith and walked around London. He walked us around London for 10 miles. <laughs> he did the same with us with, with a full circle uh, uh, location oh. as well. There is no part <laughs> of Black Park I don't know now. <laughs> <laughs> it was a lot of fun, though. And uh, one of the places um, that we went to was... Uh, was the actual bridge where this was filmed. Is that West London somewhere on an, a, a random A road? Yeah. Um, well, we went to that bridge, yeah. and, and uh, it was really funny because uh, he asked me, was there a specific place we'd like to go? And I, I told him that bridge because of Legopolis. And so we went there, and we walked up and down the bridge, and then he said, 
can I borrow your phone a second? I want to do a great shot. And I said, okay. So I'm standing on the bridge. He goes running all the way down and off to the side. <laughs> and then I do the watcher bit where I'm waving my hand, telling him to come forward. So we create recreated that. It must have been a lot of fun and, and, and probably one of the most unique experiences in terms of your holidays. <laughs> you know, yeah. like your first day of your holiday, you just on a, a, a nondescript bridge that was used for, well, very fleetingly in a show that was made in, you know, the early 1980s. I absolutely adore that. It must have been a brilliant experience for you, Brent. Yeah, oh, it was great. Yeah. And, and his story was in the same season, too, full circle. I just remembered the name of the bridge. It's Albert Bridge. And it looks exactly the same. <laughs> yeah, well, as I said, it's, it's just a nondescript bit of road. <laughs> it's, you yeah. know, it's, they, really, they really wouldn't have done much with it apart from, you know, do the usual maintenance to stop these things from falling down, <laughs> I, would, I would imagine. But this was broadcast in, in 1981, um, and, and you said you didn't watch it knowing there was going to be a, a regeneration. How, how long after uh, 1981 were you watching this for the first time? It was probably a year later. I think we're about a year out from that. And that would have yeah. been on what, PBS? Yeah. Right. And I, I, you hear lots of stories uh, about PBS not showing classic episodes in the right order or cutting really important parts. Did, did, <laughs> did that impact your viewing of this? I don't think anything was cut. I think the only time things got cut was uh, they would do an omnibus version on the weekends on Saturdays around 2 o'clock or something. And, and they would uh, – now, I didn't notice it at, at the time, but now that um, uh, I've got some of the Blu-rays and, and some of those have omnibus versions and they're shorter because some things have been cut out. And those must have been the versions that they sent over here. I wonder if that's the case. Uh, there, there were times when they showed Omnibus editions over here. And in fact, some of the early VHS releases were all Omnibus uh, editions. And I wonder whether that was something they just packaged up and sent either, not just to America perhaps, but other places as well. It's not something I know a great deal about. Yeah, you're right. You're right. The um, Brain of Morbius was one of the first ever VHS uh, cassettes and it was one of the first ones I bought and when I got it, it's like an hour long yeah 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 they, again maybe the thought process at the time was that people don't want to watch tv episodes on you know uh, pre-recorded or mass-produced media you know I, I, yeah. I maybe that's who knows they just thought well it's only the films really that sell on VHS and we can make a TV show more like a film. Who knows? But again, that was to completely underestimate and misjudge fandom, I think, in terms of how determined and keen they are to watch things as um, as as they were transmitted back in the day. But good, uh, yeah. No, Lacopolis. Uh, I always got a special place, a special place, a special place in my heart, <laughs> and um, I I very much enjoy revisiting it. And uh, as I said, we did that not so long ago at the BFI uh, when season 18 was was released on Blu-ray. Right, moving forward. Uh, well, from 1981 to at least 2005. And uh, occasionally I have an idea of the era um, some of our co-hosts are going to go for in uh, in a section like this, but on this occasion, Brent, I've got absolutely no idea what era <laughs> uh, you're going to go for. So why not put me out of my misery? Which new Who episode have you gone for? Well, I'm a huge fan of Midnight, um, <sighs> and right. that was my favorite for a long time. But that is not what I picked today. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, uh, Peter Capaldi. We, quickly very quickly became my favorite modern doctor and his last story is my favorite christmas special to date which is twice upon a time from stephen moffat never happened again any war anywhere i say wounded man here wounded man but for one day one christmas a very long time ago Everyone just put down their weapons and started to sing. Everybody just stopped. Everyone was just kind. 
wonderful. Yeah, I love this story. It just it it ends with the Christmas truce of 1914, which I don't remember learning about in school. But there was actually a Garth Brooks song that came out in '97 called "Bellow Wood," and it's it's about that night, and that's when I first heard about it. So I looked it up, and I was like, "Wow, that's a real thing." But to actually see it at the end of this episode really caught me by surprise and choked me up a little bit. It's not often I shed a tear over Doctor Who, but <laughs> this was one of those times. No, the Christmas truce I had heard of before, and I think has been a subject of Doctor Who material in the past. I'm, I, I can't remember any detail at all, but I'm pretty certain it's been a short story or, or something. Yeah, I suppose it's a wonderful a wonderful setting to to visit for Doctor Who. Um, I've not seen Twice Upon a Time for ages now, um, and I think I've only ever seen it possibly twice or three times ever, and that's not not a decision on my part, really. I, I remember really enjoying the vast majority of it as well. It's just that I've never really gone back to it, and perhaps I will now that you've... Um, You've, you've mentioned it. Yeah, I mean, how much of this one? I mean, presumably, I mean, you knew this was going to be Capaldi's last story. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they, they, in a way that you didn't know that, um, that it was Logopolis is going to be Tom Baker's. But uh, how, how did that impact your approach to this when you sat down to watch it? It, it was really cool. They, I remember they set it up to take place around the same time as the, the end of the 10th planet. So both the first Doctor and the Twelfth Doctor were about to regenerate. I, I, I really like this story because um, it's really cool to see the first Doctor again. And uh, David Bradley did an excellent job, and you just he just fits right in there. Um, mm. But it, it's good to see him as part of the story. And to me, one, one of my favorite things about this is that Bill is back. And uh, she's my favorite modern series companion. And you've got the story of the Brigadier's heritage, and you know Peter Capaldi is my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it was his uh, the Brigadier's grandfather or something mm. like that. Mm. Um, that was that was Mark Gatiss' character, wasn't it? Mark Gatiss, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. No, I, I I remember many of those touch points now that you you mentioned them, and uh, it, it I suppose. I'm just trying to think of similarities, really, between this one and Logopolis. Maybe you've got a bit of a thing for stories, uh, you know, at the end of uh, Doctor's eras, perhaps. Who, who knows? Or maybe the beginning. But, um, I, I, yeah, I, I think this one is... It feels like a full stop. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I think Moffat didn't have any real expectation uh to to write this story or indeed the season prior to that um and i I, again my memory is vague now but i seem to remember moffat saying if i don't write this then because of chibnall's availability we could potentially go one year without a celebratory um festive special and that i don't think was acceptable to him or or anyone else (laughs) and uh i i just think he he, he obviously had a number of different things he wanted to achieve, and the overlap with Tenth Planet, uh, I think, was brilliantly done. It was absolute fan service because if you hadn't seen a Tenth Planet, then you wouldn't have a clue what was going on there. Um, but I think it showed the potential for refilming old stories uh, using, you know, modern production techniques and recasting. The actors and I, I, I think that worked brilliantly. And I remember the same kind of feeling that I got when I saw Night of the Doctor when I realised it was set on Khan. You know, it was like, oh wow, what a hark back! What you know, this yeah. pivotal moment. What a link back to the show's history. So effectively done. And I remember feeling exactly the same when I saw the base on the North Pole, the old Cybermen, um, well, the old Cybermen that have been revamped, you know. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, you know, it's... And Bill, I think, in many ways, shows how far the show has moved on because a companion like Bill would never have been even mentioned uh, 50-odd years ago, certainly not in the 10th planet. And I just love the way in which it's all all tied together. Uh, But I do enjoy it. I do remember enjoying that story very very much am i right in saying there was a dalek involved as well at some point uh, there was a dalek when, yeah there was um rusty the dalek they called rusty yeah. from phil ford's story <laughs> yeah yeah and again even just getting a dalek in there i mean i'm just wondering i mean i don't remember at the time thinking this is like they're throwing everything at it. dalek cybermen in the same story again mm-hmm. using cybermen for 
you know, a, a final story again. You know, Bill's demise was essentially the same as Clara's. You know, mm-hmm. is she dead? No, she's not. Does she exist in some form? Possibly. It's, uh, yeah, it's ambiguous. Uh, yeah, but I, I don't remember feeling anything other than, you know, enjoyment after seeing this. Yeah, I really loved it. And um, you were talking about the restaging of um, some of those scenes in the Tenth Planet. I think they maybe only showed one or two, but I think they filmed several more that were on YouTube that they never used. Really? Yeah. Um, I bought the Peter Capaldi, like the entire set on Blu-ray. There's like a big box set, and I bought it like over a year ago. And I've opened it, and I've looked at it, but I haven't played any of them yet. <laughs> um, and so I haven't seen this story or what's on the disc as far as extras. Uh, so they, I'm pretty sure they're going to be on there. Okay, let's move into audio territory now i'm i'm much more comfortable discussing big finish as i'm sure you all know despite the fact the number of stories um i think probably outnumber the number of episodes available uh, on you know in the television medium it's got to be getting close i'm sure but uh, i know you haven't listened to everything big finish have released uh, brent and i don't think i've come anywhere near close to it either but i i suspect i would have heard the story that you've chosen on this occasion for two reasons. One, um, I, th- I think I knew the era you were going to go for in advance. And secondly, you did actually tell me. So <laughs> 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 kind of gives it away a bit. But yes, your choice for Big Finish or Doctor Who on audio is? Is. Well, I've been a Big Finish customer since they first started the Doctor Who range in 99. So I've heard quite a lot of their stories. Not all of them. I don't think anyone on the earth has heard all of them, but uh, (laughs) there's so many. But even though the fourth Doctor range is my favorite, there's one particular story that I keep going back to. It never gets old to me. It's uh, Storm Warning. So, that rogue-haired Echino wishes to know more about our marvellous airship scheme, hmm? Wonderful. I must say my pride would have been grievously insulted if he hadn't attempted to smuggle an agent aboard. So, your real name here... Uh, still Doctor, Lord Tamworth. Doctor Johann Schmidt of Stuttgart. Oh, what a wonderful old Teuton name. I take it you are a scientist, then? Well, I could hardly deliver Berlin a full dossier on the workings of this craft without a... Pigeon, is that right? Pigeon of engineering? Could I know? Uh, Smidgen, I think you mean. Smidgen of engineering, of course. The accent is simple enough to master, but your colloquialisms are hard work. Old bean. (laughs) Mr McGann's first big finish. That's right. Okay, where do you want to start here? Because there's so many different elements of Storm Warning you could zero in on uh, and say, this is good, Uh, I enjoyed this, but you start... It came out in uh, January of 2001. I remember at the time that was a huge deal that Big Finish had gotten Paul McGann. Yeah. And it was also considered New Who because the show wasn't back yet. So he was the current doctor and whatever happened, happened. So, you know, in other words, in the previous doctor stories, you knew that a companion wasn't going to die. You knew the doctor wasn't going to regenerate. So at the time, anything could have happened. And it made it really exciting for me. Um, And for the monthly releases leading up to it, the trailer was on every one. So I could almost recite the trailer to you now. I've heard it so much. (laughs) But uh, no, that's a story I've heard so many times, even recently. Mm. Um, Because you've got got McGann jumping in like he's never been away. Um, And you've got Gareth Thomas in it. And at the time, I was deep into watching Blake Seven for the first time. So that was really cool to hear him mm. in there. And I remember you told me yesterday that you had forgotten he was in it. I yeah, I had. Uh, his voice is very different, isn't it? Yeah. To 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 how it was in the eighties, and uh, there there are some actors whose voice has changed incredibly, and I think that works because once you know it's Gareth Thomas, you can hear Blake in him, but you wouldn't necessarily if you didn't know it was him beforehand. And there's nothing really that gives it away. No, he's he's, uh, he's older. He's very gruff voice. Yeah, and uh, and I think his character in here is uh, is a lot older, so it, it fits yeah. perfectly. Um, India Fisher is in here also as Charlie Pollard, who is just she was just instantly likable for me. Uh, I didn't have to warm up 
to her or anything. I, I instantly latched onto her, and she's still one of my favorite Big Finish companions. Mm. You know, she's she's always up for adventure. She wears her heart on her sleeve. And again, this was before the return of the series, where almost every companion is like her. Um, in fact, I'd say Bill reminds me a lot of Charlie. Hmm. Right. That's interesting. Because I, I wouldn't have drawn that comparison, I have to say. I mean, I like Charlie. Don't get me wrong. I think um, I think she's been designed really well. And yeah. uh, I, I think India Fisher is great. And she was in Winter for the Adept originally as a different yeah, character. Yeah. And they, which I actually love that story. That's an Andrew Cartmel story, uh, which is universally panned. Uh, and yet I, I really, really enjoy it. Um, yeah. But they, they obviously found something in India Fisher's uh, portrayal that they wanted to uh, use in a you know a, a, as a companion. I yeah, I mean I I like Storm Warning. Um, it 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 it's impossible to listen to it not thinking this was the first time McGann came back uh, to mm-hmm. the role of the Doctor, right? And I think from that perspective, it's great. You know, it opens with the Eighth Doctor talking to himself, pretty much as he did in the TV movie. Yeah, like, like you say, it's he hasn't lost any of that character at all you know and um that the difference between well i suppose 96 and 2001 is not that great but when you're a successful actor imagine that a single job that lasted you know for what i think it was a few weeks over in vancouver mm-hmm. and then it was gone it moved on you know never thought he was going to come back ever and yet that character is embedded incredibly well and i i love the first two episodes of still morning in particular so it's got a relatively small cast it's set what 1930 r101 mm-hmm. the uh, yep. the airship charlie as you say is is intriguing uh, and it it's somewhat little i would say let down a little by a b plot alien um, right. Yeah. You know, or I say it's B plot. It's B movie alien um, <laughs> society that is far too complex for the amount of time um, that they're given in the play to describe the social construct, which is really important to the plot, is confusing and doesn't make a great deal of sense. And a lot of part three just goes on with these slow speaking, boring alien voices. Yeah, I agree with the uh, the alien part kind of comes down a little bit with all that it's uh mm. I, it's it almost seems like filler but uh i i did forget to mention this is uh, a pseudo historical yeah. and i i'd never heard of the r101 until i heard this story and so i you know i looked it up i looked it up again recently and um just to see if there was really a lord tamworth and there was actually a lord thompson or something like that yeah um obviously he didn't have aliens but, um, <laughs> that we that we know of that we know of sure <laughs> you know uh, he, he could have done and the way the story is constructed you know it, it just says there's more to the disaster than there's recorded in history books and uh, I, I i like it when doctor who does that um the, the one thing I, I was is it a criticism or is it an observation i've heard people criticize stories and charlie for this it's very posh if you know what I mean, uh, uh-huh. the, the characters are very clipped. Even even the ones that aren't British. So um, I think it's Barnaby Edwards who's speaking in a very convincing, but also very stereotypical South African accent. Yeah, I really should not do my accents on the show. I've been told off about that before. <laughs> They're terrible. Um, but th- th- there's that element to it, and and Charlie clearly comes from a well-off uh, family and McGann is quite you know middle upper class very well spoken um, in his portrayal as the doctor as well and that sets the tone and I think in all honesty something this is something Big Finish became aware of and directly impacted the casting of Sheridan Smith and the creation of Lucy Miller uh, because she's so diametrically opposite and further on down the line You've got the Ninth Doctor, who, again, is the absolute antithesis of Paul McGann's portrayal. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, I haven't noticed any of that, really. So uh, um, <laughs> maybe that maybe that's a British observation that uh, I it didn't quite get. But, I mean, I understand what you're saying. Uh, 
uh, but I mean, yeah, it, it I, is all it is all very British stereotyped and very you know, lots of high-ranking military people controlling events, and uh, there's there's a clear class system that yeah you know was in place in the 1930s. Uh, but I do wonder whether or not this was just designed a little bit to appeal to you know um, everyone's idea of what uh, Anglo life was back then, and um, yeah. it's uh, you know because that is appealing. You know, people find it enticing. It's part of the reason why people think of um, Britain as a great power. I mean, nothing of the sort anymore. But years <laughs> ago, you know, it was renowned for all of this kind of you know stiff upper lip and that kind of stuff and it made its yeah. way into into who um but notwithstanding that i i absolutely love the eighth doctor and charlie range i think they're great i love the way it ended as well actually and uh you know real innovation and creativity in the way that they transitioned charlie to the sixth doctor too but still morning still morning absolutely is worth listening to and i believe is one of those stories that's about two pounds or three pounds uh maybe the same number of dollars i don't know um mm-hmm. it's certainly not expensive uh to, to buy now i think it's three dollars here uh we also i forgot to mention we also have um i don't know what they call them in here i think it's a vortosaur oh yes but it was the same kind of creature that was in father's day <laughs> well was it the reaper i mean uh, i i don't right. think it was supposed to be but um, it, it, yeah, the Vortisaurs and the Reapers were different monsters or entities, if you like. Um, the thing that got me is that, you know, in the early days, and this was still during the early days of Big Finish, is that they did occasionally make a bit of a boob where it come to the audio medium. And I think some of the scenes with Ramsey, the Vortisaur in them, uh-huh. had you thinking this was a very small little being you know like set on a in a cabin quite easily could be picked up and moved around and i'll see later on you've got a doctor and charlie riding them bareback like very large <laughs> yeah. pterodactyls so i don't think the script did it much many favors in terms of well how, how they looked yeah and i think it's a bit silly anyway because it was meant to be a mixture between oh aren't they a cute little cute little entity cute little being you know who's lost in time and space yeah. Um, as opposed to this monster who will latch on to any kind of time anomaly like the Reapers were, mm-hmm. and they were much more aggressive. Wonderful. Okay. Well, moving on then to our final two categories, which we've often done together, so we'll just have a conversation uh, about books. Um, so we have a, a fiction book, so that could range from anything from a, a, the target range to a new adventure or just another story. And also a non-fiction book, because in every Doctor Who's uh, fandom, uh, there is usually one information or non-fiction book that stands out, like an episode guide or something. So mm-hmm. what what, uh, what have you chosen for these two categories, Brent? Well, uh, to start off with the, uh, the non-fiction, the reference book, um, this was a hard choice too, because uh, I started watching Doctor Who in the early 80s. Uh, but over the years, it kind of faded on me, mostly because I couldn't watch them unless they were on TV. So oh, cool. in the early 90s, when they started coming out on video, I got back into it. And so I was making regular trips to the library to get every Doctor Who-related book I could get my hands on. <laughs> uh, so there were things like The Key to Time from Peter Haining, uh, Doctor Who, The Early Years from Jeremy Bentham. Um, and even recently, uh, Running Through Corridors with mm. with Rob and Toby. Um, I've been uh, using that a lot lately. But the one I picked was called uh, Doctor Who, A Celebration from Peter Haining. Absolutely. Now, this this is the hardback version. Yeah. I don't know. Did you get the hardback version in your library yeah. as well? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, again, I'm colorblind, so I'll probably get this wrong. But it, it was an orange color with bl- mm-hmm. a TARDIS and balloons on it. Yeah. Yeah. I, right. I think I had it. But I have I don't now for sure because I checked when you sent this through, and I don't have any memories of what was in it. Well, this was my Bible for Doctor Who when I was getting back into the show, and um, I've been rereading it again again lately. And um, it's the perfect book for a beginner in the world of classic Who. Uh, it's very informational. 
There are a few errors, but to be fair, this was written in 1983. There wasn't much in the way of watching old stories as points of reference. <laughs> and and, and so, it covered uh, it covered the entire run, did it? From 63 to 83. It was a tw- was it 20th anniversary it was, celebration? Yeah, or? it was the 20th right. anniversary. So it goes from uh, an earthly child up to uh, the five doctors. Right. And um, uh, but probably my favorite section of the book is near the beginning. Uh, there's a section written. On each of the first five doctors, and after that, uh, after the intro of that doctor, there's a piece written by the actor playing the part. So it's really interesting to read things that William Hartnell and Patrick Troughton said. I can imagine. Yeah, yeah because you didn't hear from them very often about the show. Um, the Hartnell part was taken from interviews, but the others were written especially for the book. So it was especially interesting to read what uh, Patrick Troughton had to say. I can imagine. Um, Again, I I don't really have many memories of um, of books. Certainly of books. I mean, I was very into Doctor Who right from a very young age, and I remember the Five Doctors being transmitted. Uh, I remember the you know the the regeneration being announced, uh, the Gopolis, um, Castrovalva um, arc. Um, I remember all of that, and that was quite impactful. But I don't remember having any of the books apart from the annuals which were bought for me uh, by various relatives who didn't know what else to get me and they just sat on the <laughs> shelf uh, essentially and I never read them but I, I I did recognize the cover of this and I've heard so many people talk about it um, that clearly it is something that many fans of our age hold in great affection yeah there's a there's also a section on companions up to right. Turlow um there's a paragraph or so for every story up until Five Doctors, which I was constantly going back to read those whenever I <laughs> saw a story for the first time. I'd go back and read about it again. So it was it really worked as a reference book. Yeah, episode guides. Um, I mean, they, they, they were well, not quite to a penny, but the, the framework of, of um, having a, a nonfiction book outline something knew about every episode um you know this the stammers how walker stuff i ended up using a lot and and even the recording dates i found of interest and i think if i were to read those now when i was much younger and had things like a spreadsheet <laughs> available <laughs> I, I, could, I would just think about the spreadsheets with all those production codes and things that i i'd have just i wouldn't have gone out it would have been amazingly um <laughs> it would have been very enjoyable anyway <laughs> put, put it that way <laughs> but yeah. yeah so um if anybody listening wants a good reference book for the first 20 years of the show this is perfect uh i found mine on ebay but it's available on amazon too right so it's, it's not one of these books that are really hard to get hold of now no and what's really weird is that uh when i got my copy off ebay it was like five bucks it was really cheap <laughs> and uh when it came through it was a used copy so when I got it and I opened it, written on the front cover on the inside, uh, it was a gift from some guy's parents to him in 1984. Uh, yeah, 84. And the guy's name was Brett, B-R-E-T-T. Oh, you're kidding. Isn't that weird? Goodness me. Uh, that, that's a brilliant story. <laughs> yeah. But that's a great story, and um, have you have you been tempted to try and adjust it to you know? <laughs> no, no. But it it is really cool to know that um, the name was similar, and that that book was actually a copy of you know the original print. I would assume. I was just gonna I, when you were leading up to it, I was wondering if you were gonna say something like um, you know, oh, and it was dedicated to Toby or something like that. <laughs> Someone who is really prominent in fandom now, for example. But uh, right. I don't I don't remember any prominent Brett. I have to say, which is a bit <laughs> of a shame, but wonderful. Okay, let's talk about your fiction choice. What book have you gone for for that category? Uh, well, this was a no brainer for me. I picked Inferno from Terence Dix. Well, the the only thing that surprises me, Brent, is that it's taken us this long to get to the third Doctor era. <laughs> uh, well, this is not only my favorite third Doctor story, but also one of my favorite Doctor Who stories ever. And part of that is due to this novelization. Uh, I used to read this one on my breaks between classes when I was in college, and I really <laughs> got into it. Yeah, I did. I, I'd have like, well, you know, you're at the building. 
I didn't live there. I lived um, maybe 20 miles away, and so I would go home every night, so I didn't live there. But uh, you'd go in the morning, you'd have a class at 9 o'clock, and then your next class is 11. It's like, well, why would you go home and come back? So you just sit in the parking lot for an hour or two. Of course. Yeah, so that's what I did. I'd read Doctor Who books. And, oh, um, I love it. I love it. People have stories about where they read Targets and, uh, you know, uh, various different Doctor Who books. And that's that's great because if that was a modern story, if you're at college today, then that would be filled up with podcasts or YouTube or TV <laughs> on true, your phone, yeah. you know. And so this is, this is why it kind of feels like such a special era because that generation is not going to be replicated now, regardless of how many brand new... Um, novelizations of the modern series they release it's just not going to be recreated Mm-mm. no um yeah because nowadays you would spend that hour watching doctor who on your phone yeah, exactly exactly yeah. uh but go into the book then so this was did you say it was terence sticks yeah he wrote the uh the novelization he churned out a lot of these um but he wasn't one of these guys who added a lot or embellished uh-huh. A lot. Now, now you, you had some, uh, the most obvious one, I guess, being the Macro Terra, where Ian Stuart Black took the opportunity to basically rewrite it uh, <laughs> and, in, and enhance uh, several scenes. But Dix never really did that, not even on his own scripts. No, um, I get the feeling that he took the actual script or, or rewatched the episode or something and, and did most of it word for word. But yeah, he would add some things here and there as far okay. as background things, but nothing really uh, elaborate. Here he does a really nice job of getting into these characters' heads, even the doctors. Um, in particular, there's that scene towards the end where the doctor returns from the parallel war- world and uh, he starts smashing the equipment. <laughs> and to me, it doesn't really have much depth to it on screen, but in the book, it really dwells on how the doctor is feeling having just seen all of his friends die in agony. So he's like really, really upset. And you don't often see the doctor having a. Uh, uh, um, emotions like that yeah no you're quite right I think Pertwee is associated with anger sometimes and frustration yeah. and you know with, usually with some bumbling civil servant or government minister but not grief or something that's been stimulated through the loss of friends or people who mean something to him and I think writing is a far better or or more effective medium uh, to convey those feelings of a character Uh, I mean you know a bit different in in films perhaps or uh, you know really well funded tv shows but 1970s Doctor Who you know I can count the number of emotional scenes like that that have been conveyed probably on one hand and the only one that really really impacts me or has always left um, a mark is the scene in the at the end of the green death with the doctor driving yeah. away from from joe uh, yeah. and and the show didn't really attempt that and again even in inferno and i know that story reasonably well not not very very well but i know the scene you're talking about and you know the emotion doesn't come through there not the motives behind it Mm-mm. Yeah. No, but when you read the book, it, it really goes into what he's thinking, and yeah, it, it makes it a lot better. It's great. It's uh, it's interesting those those target books. I mean, I, I was speaking to Phil a little while ago, and he was talking about the Twin Dilemma novelization, which I think was written by Anthony. I can't remember his surname now. The guy who actually wrote the um, wrote the story for television, and he said it it introduced this bizarre element with a cat, you know. So, and that really is, you know, developing your your, your story a lot. But um, you know, I'd, I'd rather they explore the Doctor's emotions than bring in random animals. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nobody likes unexpected random animals. Well, Brent. Thank you very much indeed uh, for, for for joining me on this um, this hypothet- hypothetical is that the right word mythical pretend desert islands um, <laughs> all manner of different words we can use uh, but basically it's not real uh, but it, it's been great to span eras with you and, uh, and and talk about different things that have meant things to you over the years and um, perhaps after we've gone around the entire DWP team. We might do it again and see whether or not your <laughs> we'll see whether or not your choices have changed over time. Right. Well, thanks for having me. It's been a been a lot of fun. Brilliant. 
Thanks, Brent. Well, thank you, uh, James and Brent. What a wonderful discussion. You know, I am finding that I absolutely love these segments of Desert Island Who. Uh, and, and with Brent, you know, James, when you were talking with Brent, I had this overwhelming kind of warm, fuzzy sense of nostalgia uh, remembering back. I think I think Brent's experiences um, with with finding Doctor Who here in the United States in the 80s so so closely mirror mine that um, mm. I, I found myself very much resonating with, with the things that he was saying. I particularly loved his take on Legopolis, which I enjoy. Uh, I, I do think it's a strong story and a good choice. And um, But I, it was the same for me. I had just recently experienced or discovered Doctor Who on PBS. I think my first story was Horns of Nymon. Um, and so that, you know, you can count down on your fingers how many stories were left to the regeneration. And like Brent... Um, <laughs> I knew nothing about Doctor Who or about regeneration. And so um, Legopolis will always have a special place in my mind as it does for mm. him. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting story. Uh, and there's there are times when we end up discussing Doctor Who stories from a UK perspective and an American perspective. And I think our local um, geography has nothing to do with our take on it. However, there are some episodes, and Logopolis is one such example, where my experience living here in the UK is the polar opposite of someone in America watching the same story. Um, and, and that's why I think we keep coming back to Logopolis on the DWP. I mean, it helps when Ian's opinion is so strong about Logopolis as well. Uh, but we do seem to revisit that story a lot uh, in just our, you know, fairly unstructured uh, ramblings. But um, yeah, it was it was good to hear what Brent said. But perhaps one day, I think it might be a good idea for you and Brent to discuss together your experiences of what it was like coming to Doctor Who in the United States because this is something that I've got absolutely no idea what that would be like and I'll be you know uh, I've I've heard PBS I mean the fact that I can even use that three-word acronym uh, is I was was impressed I was impressed Thank you very much. It makes me sound like I know what I'm talking about when actually all I've done is listen to a bunch of other podcasts and people say PBS and you have like these um, fundraising drives. All, all of this stuff is is alien to me, if you excuse the pun. And uh, I, I think it'd be really good perhaps to get, you know, um, the American side of the camper van to discuss that at some point yeah. but anyway well, yes yeah, good yeah, no, I'm, yeah, glad, yeah. I'm glad you're enjoying the segment so I'm enjoying recording them as well well and it's interesting Legopolis um, my classic TV story that I had picked was Keeper of Trocken which leads right into Legopolis <laughs> so we we only have a limited number of, of co-hosts on this show and yet you know we've landed in that season of Doctor Who yeah uh, so, so, yeah, yeah yeah I mean I, I thought Brent was almost certainly going to choose a third Doctor story i mean i said originally i didn't really know where he was going to go uh, and I, I guess if i was forced to, to guess it would have been either a john pertwee story or a capaldi story because uh, i know how much he likes capaldi but in all honesty when you've got the entire canon uh, up for grabs he could have gone anywhere mm-hmm. you know from hartnell to whitaker and uh, I, I really didn't know where he was going to go so we're going to have to make an effort to revisit eras that we tend not to land on <laughs> you know by coincidence as well so well thank you listeners for joining us for another episode of the doctor who podcast as we lounge on our desert island this time you can join us next time with episode 325 when you will be able to enjoy drew and ian talking about the next segment in nine lives uh so as we make our way through the wonderful series of the uh, ninth doctor Mm, yeah very much looking forward to that uh last time ian and drew got together they spoke about slovene and uh, that was the aliens of london and world war three two-parter 
And this time, they're going to be speaking about Slovene as well. Mm. And a uh, very different story, mm. though, Boomtown. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, and as I, as I recall, Drew, Drew heads, <laughs> metaphorically speaking, he heads the uh, Slovene Appreciation Society. So, so this He does, be- <laughs> yes. Um, membership numbers stand at one mm. Uh, mm. <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> but, uh, but no, I, I, I do look at that story in a very different way because of what Drew said uh, about those two stories so yes listeners please do join us again next month Uh, as always you can get in touch with us Uh, email is the best way uh, to send some text form of feedback to us that's feedback at the doctor who podcast.com you can reach us on twitter at the dr who podcast and there's only one media left michelle for you and you don't have to remember anything so i'll let you Tell people how to get in touch with us on Facebook. On Facebook, Facebook would be at the DWP. (laughs) (laughs) You just need to search for The Doctor Who Podcast. (laughs) I don't know. You're the only person here whose learning curve goes downhill. Comes to, you know, different ways of contact. I just, us, but, you know, uh, when I when I turn on my Facebook, it's the first thing to come up. So I, why would anyone need to even search? You have just redeemed yourself. That's <laughs> a very good thing to to, to to hear, Michelle. Listeners, we'll be back next month. Thanks for joining us. Bye for now, everyone. Bye bye. That was the Doctor Who podcast, which you can find at the Doctor Who Podcast.com. If you have any feedback, please send it in to feedback at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. Thank you for listening. Take care.